in um, some recent reading that I have um, enjoyed lately, um, I heard a bit of a, a fact here. It's probably not going to shock you. You're about within just even an hour after hearing someone give a speech, it's estimated that we only retain roughly 90%, or rather 10% of what was spoken. 90% of it is, is forgotten. Um, I, I believe that is a true thing. I, I believe it's true within certain tolerances. And of course, there are some of us that amaze others with their ability to, to grasp and remember things. But for most of us, it's a small fraction what we remember spoken to us. Oh, how we wish we would be able to grasp and hold on to those things. But that's what we're, we deal with in, in, as human beings in our minds. When you cram for a test, remember cramming for a test. Um, you don't expect to remember everything when you do that. Um, hopefully you have spent the time up forward in the, in the beginning studying, being prepared for the exam, but it didn't always work out that way, does it? You cram the night before for that test. You want to remember everything you can, but you know you're not going to remember everything in particularly in detail. You want to hopefully remember what's most important for that exam. You, you tend to remember that which stands out for whatever reason that might be, whatever stands out. I think the root of the reason that we remember certain things is simply because we value them more than other things. I know that's not a profound statement, but it's true. It has something to do with what information we're given and what we value apart from others. Take, again, this cramming for an exam as an example, and you're in that textbook. You know, the way Things are presented in that textbook sometimes. Sometimes there's a call-out or a box or something that makes it seem more important than the other. You, you think that, all right, that could be on the test. So you value it more. You, you, you hope to remember these things. Um, it, it seems to be and appears to be more worth remembering. Simple as that. In our everyday life, in your everyday life, you may not care about some, certain things like the atomic weight of an atom or, or an element on the periodic table, but as a student for tomorrow's exam, that's very important. So there is context to consider. When you look in the Old Testament as an example, just as an example in Scripture, and you're looking at the Old Testament, we can see how God dealt with Israel's need to see the value in remembering things, important things, remembering his instruction, his promises, his threats, certainly his commandments. The Lord taught the importance of repetition to help us remember. A classic example of this is in a, a well-known text in Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in verses 4 through 9, and let me read that to you. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. That's important. That should be on your heart. How? How should it be on our hearts? Continue. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That is, of course, just one example in Scripture of how God understands the challenge that we face as human beings to remember important things and value them accordingly. Our memories are fragile things. Our fallen nature adds confusion to our minds. You know, we remember things, frankly, that are better forgotten. And we forget things that are better remembered. In our text today, it addresses a sobering need that we all have. And a careful reading of it, I think, humbles us. It humbles us because it exposes our weakness in a way. This, this need to hear things over and over again. We are again reminded of the value of a strong faith in this text and the importance of having this message repeated in the hearing of our ears over and over again. So let's go to our text. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're in verses 12 through 15. Verses 12 through 15. Hear the word of God. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So our text this morning, what Peter is telling his readers that he plans on to keep reminding them to practice those things that increase faith. These things that he's referring to in verse 12. Those things that increase faith, even though they know what those things are and even though they have saving faith. He's going to repeat them because he acknowledges his, his time to die is soon. And he thinks... He thinks it is the right thing to do, to stir them up by reminding them of these things. And he will be sure that despite his, his imminent departure, they will have what they need to remember the truth that he has taught them. That's a, a quick synopsis of our text this morning. Well, for us today, for us today, as we Christians, we must be reminded to practice those things that increase faith. Faith in Christ. Even though we, too, even though we also may be able to list them off, and even though we're saved, we need to be reminded of these things. It's the right thing to do, to stir up the people by reminding them of these things. As a preacher, as a pastor, and it is right for the people to seek the means to be stirred up themselves. We have 
praise God, the completed canon of Scripture to bless us in recalling these things that make for a strong faith. So, going to this text, we, I believe, have a guiding question that we can put to it, which is, what is it that we must be reminded of? The answer, based on the tendency of our flesh to want to cause us, as Peter revealed earlier in this letter, to want to cause us to lose sight of Christ, to demonstrate even to a point of a nearsightedness of spiritual things, we are urged to seek to always be reminded and stirred up to practice those spiritual things that what? That increase our faith, our faith in Jesus, and to see the great value of that faith in Christ. With that, I have two points that I want to stress in this passage. First, you must practice those things that stir up your faith. That's my first point. You must practice those things that stir up your faith. Now, uh, this is primarily seen in verse 12. Also, there's a sub-point I want to mention, mention here, and that is that merely knowing them is not enough. Okay? Not if you want to see your faith grow stronger. My second point is you must seek the means necessary to stir up your faith. And this is demonstrated mostly in verse 13, but also in verses 14 and 15. Well, point one you must practice those things that stir up your faith. I want to read again verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. These qualities he talked about in verses 5 through 7. Of, those, of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Peter's pointing back again to what he's written concerning the excellence of their salvation. Verses 1 through 4. And, and what because, becomes of them because of that excellent salvation. And he's pointing back to uh, that they really should be exceedingly diligent. He uses that word a couple of times, that they should be diligent in establishing an assurance of faith. Verses 5 through 11. And now he intends to be reminding of them of important truth. So far, what he has written is nothing novel. It's nothing brand new to Scripture. Of course, it may be new to a person hearing it for the first time, but as far as what Scripture has taught up through the ministry of Christ, it is simply truth being repeated here. Peter only polishes it, if you will, in certain areas to make it shine and, and to make his point for the good of his readers. John MacArthur, in his commentary, he points out that there is no such thing as brand new spiritual truth, only a clearer understanding of the timeless truth. So we have a completed canon. God doesn't talk to us 
in ways that so many false churches teach and that they hear an audible voice of God in some way, that God's telling them something that isn't already told us in Scripture. I'm not saying God doesn't speak to you as you pray and meditate on the Word of God. This is His means of communication to us, but it is in and through His, by His Spirit in the Word of God. The point is, there is no brand new spiritual truth at this point. There's timeless truths expounded in Scripture. And Peter, he's telling us that he sees no need of bringing a brand new teaching to them, but simply to remind them of what they already know. Now, really what he's seeking to do here, Peter, is to be gentle with them. He wants to be gentle with them. Wishing not to make them feel that somehow that they're imposters or, or, or fakers. Imposters of the Christian religion in some way that they don't belong in the family of God. He, he doesn't want to convey that that's what he's saying to them. They already know these things, he says. They're not ignorant of the gospel truths. They know them. He indicates, frankly, that they already have this faith in Christ. The very beginning, it's a faith in equal standing to the apostles. They have these saving graces already in their lives that God gave to them in Jesus. He says that they are established in the truth. What does that mean? They are settled in gospel truths. This is their reality as new creations in Christ. They have believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they are believing. They continue to believe. They are saved. Christ is their Lord and Savior. It's, it's clear. That's what he's communicating to them. But despite their blessed position in Christ... And that the knowledge that they possess and profess, Peter sees the need to remind them to practice those really basic things. Those qualities listed again in verses 5 through 7. That, as he says, if they are increasing, then one's faith in the Lord is, is ever so strengthened and built up. He wants to see them with a stronger faith. The point about practicing these qualities, you know, I, I, I talked about them already in my last sermon, but I, I want to take the apostles' lead here. I want to take Peter's lead here. I think it is right to remind you of this need, because quite frankly, that's what he is doing, reminding us. Like his original readers, we also possess godly virtue, these saving graces. And like Peter was trying to encourage them and not trying to condescend to them or about their having a weak devotion in Christ in some way, we should be encouraged along with them. We should be encouraged in his reminder that we already have what we need in Christ Jesus for life and godliness. That's huge. 
for living our daily life and whatever that may bring, and for living in godliness. We have what we need already in Christ. Like I said earlier, God in Scripture, He caters repeatedly to our need to be reminded of what He has commanded and what He's exhorted for our good. It was still imperative that Peter's readers receive this reminder. Why? We'll get to that as we go through this letter, but they're going to face, in fact, they probably already are, facing some threats, some, a powerful infiltration of false teaching. Chapter 2 in his letter talks about this in more detail. They're going to be facing this if they're not already. Strong temptations meant to harm their faith in Jesus, even to a point for some in questioning his return. I found it that it is often the more simple things in life, the more simple things that challenge us the most, challenges me the most, the simple things. It seems easier, I think, to, to put a, a dire need into the hands of God when I know there is very little to nothing that I or we can do to make something good happen. Other than pray. It's totally out of our hands. It usually seems to be easier to put it in God's hands. Would you agree? But if it's a relatively small matter, relatively, like you know, what college to choose, or should I pursue this relationship or that relationship, or should I take this job or that job, then what do we do? We, we tend to stress about it. We stress more than we pray about it. How foolish can we be? And what grace we need every day to have that grace increasing in us. The churches, or the church that whom Peter wrote, they were experiencing a kind of false teaching that would usually come in subtle ways. It would sneak in, trying to confuse them into making wrong conclusions based on believing false teaching. It had to be sneaky. It doesn't, it doesn't take much to twist a truth into a lie that leads to destruction. It really doesn't. One of the false teachings they were to deal with was to mistake what true freedom in Christ grants a believer. You can see how subtle this can be to slip in unsuspecting to an unprepared believer. Take the phrase itself, freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. Now that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? And it is. But if what is understood and believed to be freedom is really just an excuse to sin, then that person's understanding is going to make shipwreck of their life. Just what do you mean by freedom in Christ? Now, Peter sought to remind the church to remember what they 
already have been rightly taught. You know, we have hints in his letter that what he wants them to remember includes not only what is in this, his second letter to them, but what he wrote in his first letter to them. And you can see that in verse 1 of chapter 3. But hear this. I want you to hear this. Practicing those qualities, which are saving graces that God gives us to build up our faith in the Lord, they are not practiced just simply to have that quality as a defining characteristic in and of itself, just to be able to say that I'm a self-controlled man, as an example. When you take and understand it that way, it could lead to a life of just moralism. There are scores of examples in world history of men and women that did not profess a faith in Christ, but were great examples of self-control. Or steadfastness in trials, or practicing a type of selfless love. Our goal, beloved, our goal should not stop at increasing these qualities. We should want to have them because of what they produce a strong faith in Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that Peter wants them to gain from this letter is to pursue a strong faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that trusts through the hardest times and resists the most cruel temptations. Dear Christian, you should want to see these graces increase in you because as it strengthens your faith in the Lord, you're killing sin. And you're being more and more prepared for eternity. It's, it's the putting on of Christ and then the putting off of the flesh that Paul talks about in the number of his letters. Grace is increasing in you while sin in the flesh is decreasing. We often need reminders in life. We often need them. You know, repetition, it makes things stick, which is why we need to guard what we allow to come into us. We don't want the bad things sticking, right? And sadly, you know, people often fail to act on what they know. We do. You know, Peter's readers were said to already know these things, but knowing them wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to just know them, to be able to list them off. Some of them were forgetting them. Forgetting them to a point of almost a blindness to what was true about them in Christ. You see that in verse 9. Some were forgetting. Some were even forgetting they were cleansed of their former sin and that they were truly saved. To a point where their assurance of faith was almost non-existent. And friends, that 
that is a miserable place to be. It's a very lonely place. One that can be, frankly, averted by hearing and believing those same truths about Christ and what he has done and who you are in him. And patiently, yes, patiently supplementing faith by practicing those qualities that compose true Christian faith. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Beloved, what Peter stresses is a huge point for all of us. An important key to ministry that your pastors must be doing is putting people in remembrance of things they already know. To encourage them in this way. It's not vain repetition. You see, as noted earlier, our minds have been so affected by sin that we, again, we forget the things that we should remember. And we remember things that we should forget. And our job as elders, your job as parents even, is to say the same truth over and over again until those in our charge are established in them by practicing them. You cannot do that in your own strength. You will fail. My second point, you must seek the means necessary to stir up your faith. I want to read again verses 13 through 15. Peter writes, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is prompted by the urgency of his imminent death. And he stresses the righteousness of stirring up the faith of his beloved brothers and sisters. He doesn't have to tell them this in his letter, but he does. He wants to exhort them to maintain Christian virtue, to, to see the value in a strong faith. As Matthew Henry put it regarding his comment about knowing his death, his time is soon, he said his nearness and death made him very diligent in the business of life. You know, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow or very soon, we would approach things differently. And, and certainly that had an impact on, on Peter. Peter knew also what a sleepiness can fall upon even the most devoted Christian. Even the most devoted Christian, a sleepiness. And therefore, he had need to be stirring them up, awakening them unto their duty unto the Lord. He knew firsthand by his own failures that even though believers are grounded in the truth, they need constant shepherding and leading to protect them from wandering into sin. 
and the effectiveness of their faith it depended upon their awakening to these gospel truths that they were formally taught. They already knew. When the apostles wrote, they wrote to people who knew the truth, mostly, that we're reading in the scriptures here, to this church, to that church. They already knew the truth, and then they exhorted them to live up to what it is they knew, to be true. As the apostle John, later on, in his own letters, writes, let what you heard from the, from the beginning abide in you. That's a comfort to know that we're already equipped with the truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I cannot encourage enough listening to this man's sermons. And what a blessing it is to have a man of his measure of grace that we can even hear them. He said one time, he said, the knowledge of God comes before, before any particular blessing that we may desire from him. The knowledge comes first. And yet, you, beloved, you know God. And you know of his excellent blessings. No one has need to teach you of this. The Spirit communicates these truths to you. But what you lack, and what I lack from time to time, really is a right appreciation of them. It's the mercy of God to help us. It's the mercy of God to help us to see what is lacking in our striving. So, dear child of God, when you see a deficiency in your faith, Praise God that you can see it. And you know that you can boldly pray in accordance with His divine will to grow in the grace you need. God meets us in our weaknesses. He meets us in our weakness. And when we are at our weakest seeing that we can do nothing to save ourselves. Our hearts are cleared of confusion. We're brought so low. Our hearts are, are cleared of this confusion. It's swept clean of pride. We're made ready in humility. Better it is to go to the house of the morning, the preacher writes. The Spirit anoints our hearts with the balm of Gilead, the very Word of God, and we are renewed. We are sanctified. We're able to stand more firmly, established in the knowledge of Christ. And the things like self-control and steadfastness and godliness, they begin to well up in our hearts to a selfless love for each other, for God, who saves us again and again until the very end. The pastor has a ministry that's given to him that mostly includes constant instruction 
often repeating the truths of Scripture. No matter how much divine truth that believers have heard or how spiritually mature they are, they still need reminders to apply that truth, to walk in His way. Don't despise or bore of truth repeated. Now, I will say this. It is our duty as preachers of the Word to be as lively and as convincing as we can be according to the measure of grace given each of us. So please, pray for Aaron and I in this hard and necessary work. The truth that Peter says bears repeating is all true things about our faith in Christ and Jesus. In verse 1, we are told that it is a faith that is obtained. It's a faith that is obtained. Now, I want you to think of the act of casting lots, okay? Casting lots. And you just happen to have that lot fall on you. The faith that you have in Christ, if you do profess and believe in Him as Lord, the faith that you have in Christ, it did not come to you because of any proclivity or strength or specialness about you. It fell on you. The lot. It fell on you because of God's attitude toward you. His special love that He chose to dispose to bestow upon you. And this, this hasn't changed about you and Him. And it can't. Also, the faith that you have in Christ is a very precious thing. When I say the word precious, what comes to mind? But something of value, right? It's precious. Again, as Martin Lloyd-Jones explains, he says, your faith is so, so precious because it enables you to see who Jesus is and what he has done. That is what saving faith that has been given to you has done for you. You're able to see who He is and what He has done. You would not see that if He had not given you that faith. That faith wasn't exercised by you. Without being so enabled, you would not know Him in a believing way, and you would not believe what He claims to have done in Scripture. So you see, your faith is very precious, very valuable. It's what connects you to the Lord. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Your faith is very precious because of the value esteemed in the one who gave it to you. Don't we naturally deem something as valuable if it's given to us by someone that we greatly value? 
I know a person, I know a person who has placed a high value on a medium-sized rock that is in her garden. A rock. To you or me, it's just a rock. But to her, it's highly valued because it was once in her father's garden. And how much more, how much more is our faith in Christ precious and valuable than something so common as a rock? Quite frankly, or anything else in the world that we could possess. Anything in the world. Our faith is precious because of its inestimable price. The shed blood of Christ. Without his active and passive obedience, his, his broken body, his shed blood, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, without any one of these, our faith would be useless. He had to accomplish all the works the Father had given him, and he did. It is done, it is finished. Our faith is precious. It is precious. It is built on all these works of Christ. And it is protected and sealed by the Holy Spirit given to us as a pledge until we die or Christ returns. So, you see how very precious your faith is and how diligent you must be in supplementing it by increasing these God-given Saving graces, graces that you already possess in some measure as sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. And I hope, I, I dearly hope you see how important it is to hear this message repeated in your ears again and again. Peter says that he intends to remind them and beloved, you must be intentional in having your faith stirred up. We cannot be passive about this and just show up on a Sunday with dull ears and sleepy hearts. You and I, we must be seeking means of instruction in God's Word. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Foremost, we must seek the preached word as members in a local church. But there are other ways we can and should be using to get God's word in our hearts and in our minds to help us be stirred up, to awaken our, our faith. The other sermons that we find online and books that we can read and catechisms and theological books, even biographies of, of godly men and women that encourage the consumption of God's Word. Or we just marvel at a strong faith that they exercised. In verse 15, Peter said that he would make every effort so that after his death, his readers would be able at any time 
to recall these things. These things would definitely include what he has exhorted them to be doing in regard to their faith in the Lord. But in order to recall these things, they would have to make use of them, ponder them, pray about them. And we'll conclude here. When we are weak in faith, when we're weak in faith, it is, it's as though faith almost becomes something that's common. The idea of it, of faith, is a common thing. We don't see the true value in it when we're weak in our faith. It can even seem mysterious or unknown. And in our lowest and weakest points, yes, a believer, as believers, we can almost come to dread it. Instead, we want results that we can see and touch. We don't want surprises. We're not so interested in self-control as being in control. Faith will never be like that. It's not by sight that we walk in the ways of the Lord. Faith is trusting in Him. And the more that we trust Him through thick and thin, well, the stronger our faith will become. The more we realize He is the one in control and not us. And that becomes more of a comfort to us instead of a dread, then really, regardless of not knowing how God's going to work things out, we grow more confident that it will be worked out in the best way, brothers and sisters, in the best way that glorifies His holy name and simultaneously is best for us. This is the peace that God offers that is peace, brothers and sisters, to have a strong faith that endures, that loves. Beloved, be diligent in practicing those things that increase your faith in the Lord. Actively seeking to trust and obey. It is the yoke Jesus said that we must bear. Now seek ways, seek ways to let yourself be reminded of this and stir yourself up. Don't trust them, these qualities that Peter lists. Don't trust these qualities to spawn spirit-born fruitfulness just by knowing them, just by knowing that they exist in a believer's life. You have to practice them to be growing, increasing your faith. And praise God that we have the completed canon of Scripture, that we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, teaching us His will, His ways. We are more than conquerors in Christ who loved us, Scripture tells us. And we 
we have a heavenly Father that delights to hear our prayers. So, don't accept a languishing, weak faith in Christ Jesus. Don't accept it. Let's pray. Great Almighty God in heaven, what help we need and what amazing resources are available to us in Christ, in your spirit. These means that you provide to us, Father, that we don't fully appreciate. Forgive us, Lord, for that. Help us to be teachable and open to the truth communicated to us, Lord God, that repeated truth over and over again, that we may delight in it and be encouraged in it. Certainly, Lord God, help us to stir up our faith and trusting in You, enjoying You, Lord God, that even now, this side of heaven, Father, we can abound in, in a life that is full of joy despite the circumstances. Help us to hear what the apostle is teaching here, what your word is telling us, and to, to take it in. And Lord God, we pray that it will bear good fruit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.